Coming up on This Week in Games, the year's biggest award show went down this week. Twitch goes on the offense against rival streaming platforms, and Microsoft releases the first glimpse of what Scarlet is. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and it's the big push before the holiday season. You know, we're likely to see more and more news turn away from fundraising, merger and acquisition, publishing deals, other businessy stuff, and more towards consumer-facing news and what's to come in 2020. And the best way to see that is our first story of the week. Giacht Keeley's The Game Awards wraps up to cap off 2019 as kind of like a great year in gaming. So the Game Awards have quickly become one of the big three award shows that I personally pay attention to. The other two being IGF and GDC, which, you know, both conveniently happen simultaneously at the same stage. So really, this is the only time of year that I look for who's winning what awards. And, you know, hats off to Keeley. I remember seeing him on Game Trailers TV and G4TV.com back in the day. And he's continued to work and gather credibility and clout in the game industry and is now running arguably the biggest publicly watched game award show there is. I guess the best way I can say people should think about it, to use the movie analogy, the game awards are almost like the Oscars. The GDC awards are very similar to the Screen Actors Guild, Directors Guild, and Writer Guild awards. And the IGF is like cons, which is more for independent films, kind of like the IGF awards. My favorite game of the year, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, surprisingly won Game of the Year. And I honestly can't believe it because I feel like I'm the only person I know that loves that game. And, you know, I actually like Bloodborne and Sekiro over From Software's like main series line of games and the Dark Souls and Demon Souls games. So pretty surprising. Um, yeah, Sekiro is just a beautifully designed game from everything from art and animation, level layouts, combat, story, ambient environment, everything. Everything's just a masterclass, you know. And as soon as you feel like, okay, I, I kind of understand how this game system or this part of combat interacts with other stuff, you realize it's much deeper than that. And you realize, you know, you can do everything 10x better, 10x faster. Like the game is just set up to be perfected. And yeah, it's great to see from software just get this big time recognition. Um, the other big kind of winner was Disco Elysium, which won four awards, which I think was the most for any single game. So they won the Fresh Indie Award, which is the award for a studio's first release, best indie game, best RPG, and best narrative. Disco Elysium really looked like something special, and I'm ashamed to have not played it yet. <laughs> you know, I saw it for a while. I think I saw it at GDC and even talked with one of the developers, and God, it just, it's like time flies too fast, guys. Finally, I, I'd say the other big winner of the night was Fire Emblem Three Houses. It took home the award for best strategy game, but more importantly, it took home the fan vote award, which is pretty surprising because it's like a Nintendo platform exclusive. And on top of that, you don't really think of Fire Emblem as like such broad reaching as like Mario or Smash Brothers or Zelda. You think of it as more of a niche game. So to win fan vote, you know, really shows you what's going on in the game industry. Like these niche games are actually becoming the games and you see the games that try to go as broad as possible, not getting as much love as they used to. All in all, it's really great to see the game awards, you know, give awards to such broad and important categories like direction, audio design, narrative, and other things besides outright game categories like what's the best action game? What's the best RPG game of the year? You know, like it's really like looking, taking that Oscars approach to like, 
you know, audio design, narrative, um, what else, you know, like who has the best community support, who has the best live services, like these are really important things to the game industry and game development, and arguably much more important than like, what's the best strategy game of the year. So I, it's just really great that the game awards exist. And it like, it exists as both a mainstream and legit way to celebrate the year in games, similar to the Oscars again. So Thank you to everyone involved. All right, outside of the many, 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 almost too many game trailers that were presented at the Game Awards, we got a small glimpse of the next generation of Xbox consoles. So Scarlet has a name. It's going to be called Xbox Series X, which I don't know. Like, I don't know who the marketing department is at Microsoft. This shit's so confusing. It went Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One, and now Xbox Series X. Like, I uh, is there going to be a Series Y, a Series C? Well, there's never uh, Xbox 720, and there's never Xbox 2, so it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't even make sense. Due out in holiday 2020, the Series X is a big, rectangular, PC-looking machine, and not really like the sleek, futuristic console design shapes that we're used to seeing, especially from companies like Sony. The specs start at 4K 60 frames per second, but are expected to hit 8K 120 frames per second and feature whatever the hell variable rate shading is. So that's always great to throw buzzwords that I don't understand in there. It looks like Microsoft is aiming at maximizing power and output rather than, you know, trying to develop that complete consumer experience. It's kind of like basically the difference between a full-on gaming PC rig and a Nintendo Switch. Like one of them is clearly infinitely more powerful, but the other one might be a better or a holistic product. So it'll be very interesting to see and read about more about the specs, what their plan is, why is it just a box? Why does it have hard edges? You know, why does, why? And so we'll get all those answers in the next nine months. And the other kind of like trailer that I'd like to call out is Amazon Game Studios actually putting their foot on the ground and having their first release. And it's an MMORPG called New World. So that'll be very interesting as well to see, you know, what eight years and hundreds of millions of dollars will get you. <laughs> All right. Next story of the week. Twitch goes on the offense and starts signing exclusivity deals of their own. So the streaming talent draft just got a bit more interesting. And I think everyone knew this was eventually coming. So after Facebook, YouTube, and Microsoft Mixer has poached some of Twitch's top talent for exclusivity deals, Twitch has signed Benjamin Dr. Lupo Lupo, Saquib Lyric Zahib, and Timothy Tim the Tapman Batar to multi-year exclusivity contracts. Okay, pretty interesting. The one I do recognize the most is Lyric. He's always on top of Twitch, streaming some nonsense I don't even know. Interestingly enough, all three of these are represented by the same management company, Loaded. So... Pretty weird. It makes you wonder if this was a chicken and egg. Did Loadit go to Twitch with its three biggest stars and offer them up, or did Twitch go to Loadit? You know, I don't know. I honestly believe it's still early days for these streaming personalities. This is almost like the beginning of television all over again. Year-over-year -year growth for these streamers only increases as younger audience pretty much never watch traditional television or even watch traditional sports, and instead are way more into YouTube and Twitch. And now we wait for Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon to see if they're able to turn these streamers into broad-reaching personalities with, like, everything from physical product lines to entertainment pieces outside of streaming. So 
Sadly, I, I think the best analogy is what happens with like the Kardashians. You know, they have makeup lines, they have clothing lines, they have everything else. So now what can these four big internet tech giants do with these streamers that have millions of people who watch them every day? Like how can they, you know, take this to the next level? And I, I think it's only a matter of time before they figure it out. I'm just curious to see what that next level is. All right, next story of the week. Nintendo Switch had a better than expected launch day in China. So Nintendo and Tencent sold 50,000 Switches on launch day, each bundled with new Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, which is the only game available at the moment, with other Nintendo titles getting approved and licensed for release in later weeks. Analysts predict 100,000 total units sold by the end of the year, and there are 18 other titles currently in the queue to get licensed and released on the platform. Honestly, so smart for Nintendo to team up with Tencent. Tencent is kind of like the go-to king for importing games from outside of China into China and getting them licensed and through that like long queue that's built up in the Chinese government. So hats off to both of them. Speaking of game licensing, what's the penalty for releasing an unlicensed game in China? Well, we just found out this week it's about five to ten times your total revenue for the game. Holy crap. So the South China Morningstar Post reports that a company in Beijing was fined for nearly $100,000 for releasing an unlicensed game. Under the law, the government has the right to fine between five and 10 times the revenue of your game for the entire lifetime for the violation. That being said, I hate to bring out my skeptical hippo eyes, but the South China Morningstar Post isn't exactly The Economist, and since no evidence or names were given, you almost have to wonder if this was a publicity stunt or a public threat to other firms about what's going to happen if they do release unlicensed games. That being said, five to ten times your game's revenue is nothing, nothing to roll the dice at, so... Get your games licensed, everyone. All right, last news story of the week. Physical retail continues its march towards bankruptcy as GameStop reports yet another 15 to 20% year-over-year decline in sales. So the only line of products in all of GameStop that had any sort of growth was collectibles, showing that physical game retail is kind of all but over. Internet speeds, Amazon same-day delivery, and a host of other industry transitions have proved that GameStop both didn't follow where the market was going, didn't pivot and evolve fast enough, and frankly just can't keep up with where the industry is. The stock is floating around $5 a share after almost hitting $50 a share five years ago. That's so ridiculous. And hilariously, Michael Berry of the Big Short fame is reported to hold a large share of GameStop, so it looks like even the smartest investors got duped by GameStop. Um, I've gone to another, I've gone on another, uh, number of GameStop ramps over the rants over the last couple of years. So there isn't need to go on another one now, but it's just crazy that they still aren't pivoting. All they keep talking about is all these great ideas that they have to pivot the company and then they never execute them. And <laughs> there's still GameStops trying to like, you know, convince people to come, you know, pre-order games and trade in all their physical games, but no one's even buying physical games these, these days. Cause you you have consoles launching with like 500 gigabytes now. There's no need to buy a physical disc. So, uh, all right, let's move on to this week's business news. Patreon GG raises one million in seed round for an esports app called Kokyo. So, led by game investors mainstays Bitcraft Esport Ventures and also with Trust Esports joining in, Patreon GG hopes to corner the esports engagement scene with Kokyo an app that hopes to own scheduling, news, social, and video content for esports across all esports platform. 
Although I'm rolling my eyes at another esports platform, app, or some other esports nonsense, $1 million in seed is nothing to scoff at. It's actually insanely impressive. It's much, much higher, considering most companies like get maybe 100,000, maybe 250,000 in seed. Getting a million in seed means that there's some crazy evaluation that they're raising money at, and some some process they arrived at that evaluation, and some reason that a very like smart investor like Bitcraft Esport Ventures is giving them that kind of money. So there's something there. We'll have to keep our eyes out on it. Next up, Playrix, developer behind Gardenscape and Homescape series, acquires hidden object developer Epix Entertainment. Now, that's not the streaming platform or like premium cable content Epix. It's, it's Epix E-I-P-I-X Entertainment. Not much to be told here. I mean, really, hidden object games, you know, outside of a few other more expensive genre, hidden object games are probably one of the most similar audience overlaps to Match 3. And frankly, Playrix probably has a boatload of cash. This would be a great time to start building up a large portfolio of talented studios under their wing and, you know, try to become like one of those Supercell or Zynga's or Jam City, one of those bigger players in the industry rather than just a company that has two mega hits. All right, mobile publisher Voodoo acquires Gumbug, a mobile studio in London. So since their injection of $200 million by way of finance, demigods, Goldman Sachs, Voodoo has been on the lookout for smart growth via acquisition. And this week they acquired Smash Supreme and Notorious 99 developer Gumbug. Casual games continue to consolidate into these large publishers. And well, this is just how it's going to be. You know, (laughs) this is going to continue for probably the next five years. Next up, another loss in the VR space. High Fidelity lays off half its staff and pivots away from VR. So Philip Rosedale, the creator of Second Life, created kind of like an alphabet soup of funding opportunity when he said he is starting an open source blockchain-based VR platform called High Fidelity. However, the San Francisco-based and actually just a couple of blocks from my apartment-based High Fidelity will lay off half its staff and move the other half onto opportunities outside of VR. And honestly, VR in its current state seems to only survive off marketing opportunities and small margin projects. Like, you know, if a television show wants to hire a studio for a quick 100K to make something on a VR platform to put up in like a store, it's not something I honestly see in kind of supporting an entire studio at this point. All right, Zynga opens another UK-based studio in Birmingham. So Zynga's natural motion division, known for hit racing games like CSR Racing and the Doom strategy game Dawn of Titans, opens a new racing-focused studio in Birmingham. Reading between the lines, this new studio will probably take over live operations and maintenance for CSR, leaving the London-based natural motion studio open to branch off into other games as they've kind of been CSR focused for the last five years, so they're probably bored out of their mind. (laughs) All right, last news of the week. Tatsuya Minami, former Platinum Games CEO, opens a new studio called M2 Inc. So Osaka, Japan, will have a new AAA studio, M2 Inc., reported to be funded by Capcom and currently supporting the Resident Evil 3 remake. M2 Inc. will likely become a Capcom studio to keep an eye out as Minima helped Platinum Games reach global audiences under his management. All right, that's it. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave me a comment and let me know how I'm doing. Give me five stars or don't give me five stars. Your choice. And I'm Eric McConnell. Come back next week and I'll break down all the video game industry news for this week in games. Take care, guys.